0: teach on this morning. I was going to continue on with the book of Acts. We stopped last week because um, of the Christmas program. A big thanks to everybody who helped out with that and participated in that. What a huge blessing that was. And so I was going to do Acts. I thought, well, well, probably next Sunday on the 24th, stop and do something about Christmas. So when I was going through Acts, it was about Paul going to Iconium and getting stoned to death. I thought, well, that doesn't seem very Christmassy here. So I thought, we'll stop for a second. And just kind of talk a little bit more. Now, obviously, we do not believe or teach that Jesus was born on December 25th. We do believe that it's important to understand that that his coming was celebrated, prophesied, talked about in Luke, talked about in Matthew. And we do believe it's important to recognize that, just like we have other days of the year that we recognize. For example, Veterans Day. We recognize all veterans throughout the year, but on that day, we want to make sure it is focused on. So, therefore, when it comes to the Christmas season, we want to stop here for a little bit and say, why are we doing all this? You know, why are kids getting off school? Why do people get off from work? Why do we do these things? And I think it is important to take a couple weeks and just stop and say, let's look at this. Now, the interesting thing about this, there's really two Christmas stories mentioned. You have the one in Luke where you have Jesus being born. and you also have the one in Matthew that really starts taking place right after Christ was born. Last week, we stopped and we talked in Luke a little bit about the shepherds coming and what that means and represents. What I want to do this morning now is go to the Matthew account. And I want to talk about this. And we're going to go on a tour of the Old Testament. So I hope you got your fingers ready. I gave you the first book. The hardest one to find is Micah. But a lot of us don't go to Micah too often. So we're going to be in Micah. I gave you a heads up on that one. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 2 here, verse 1. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. Stop right there. It's going to take us a while this morning. But Bethlehem, that's what we've got me. As I was reading through and praying through these uh, Christmas stories, I thought, Bethlehem, why Bethlehem? Well, the answer is obvious because that's what was prophesied about. That's why I have you in Micah. Take a look at Micah chapter 5. Take a look at Micah 5 verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. So obviously it's fulfilled prophecy, but I started thinking, why Bethlehem? That's kind of an interesting town to pick. And if the Lord does something, he does something for a reason. So that's what I want to talk about this morning is Bethlehem. But let's go through the rest of this here to remind us. So it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Wise men from the east. These are the wise men, the magi, etc. Now many of you know this. There was not three of them. That's what church tradition teaches. If anything, they were probably driving in a caravan. There could have been hundreds of them. Because that's the way they would travel. I had somebody after the 830 service came up to me and said, If only three of them showed up, that probably wouldn't stir up the town too much. But if you had a caravan of hundreds of them coming in, foreigners, speaking something different, sounding different, looking different, all of a sudden, like, why are you here? And why are they here? Verse 2, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. These guys stirred up the entire town. Now, why would they stir up the entire town? First off, why are they here? You're not from around here. You have traveled months to get here. We know from studying the rest of this chapter out that they did not show up at the manger scene. And many of our nativities have the wise men right there. So I was saying at the 830 service. I know some families out here at church that put their wise men in a different room to really show the biblical account that the wise men were not at the nativity. I don't know if every day they just inch them a little closer or what, but they're in a different room to start out with. So the wise men show up. And it troubles. Verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. This is an interesting word. This word literally means shaken. These guys showing up shook everybody up. Not in a good way. Why would it shake up Herod? Well, who are they looking for? Verse 2, the king of the Jews. Who's the king of the Jews? Herod's the king of the Jews. So here you are, the king of the Jews, and somebody shows up saying, where's the king of the Jews? We want to meet him. I'm right here. No, no, the real king of the Jews. This would trouble Herod. This would shake the whole town. And if you understand anything of history, and if you study out Herod, if Herod's in a bad mood, heads are going to roll, literally. You do not want Herod in a bad mood. So when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is written by the prophet. But Jew Bethlehem in the land of Judah are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, isn't this fascinating? Herod comes to his scribes, his biblical scholars, and he says, Guys, I need to know where the Messiah is going to be born. They say, well, it's going to be Bethlehem. Now, they didn't have a computer to type in Old Testament prophecies concerning the birth of the Messiah. They would have to know And these scrolls, they would have to go through. They knew this. This is a lot of intelligence right here. To take an obscure book like Micah and know that in the fifth chapter, in the second verse, they didn't have chapters and verses back then, but they knew this. Verse 7, then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined them what time the star appeared. Determined from them. Remember, once again, they were not at the manger. This is a month's journey to get to this place. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. See, this is where it gets interesting. So you found the Messiah. He found the king of the Jews. Hey, go check it out and let me know so I can come worship him. See, this is where it gets interesting, and I'll steal this point from a devotional I read about this. Herod did not put the effort in to go. The scribes did not put the effort in to go. They had the intelligence, but they didn't have a follow-through of Please remember at this point, these scribes, Herod, he's not an atheist. He's not agnostic. They have the scriptures being fulfilled right in front of them, and they won't leave Jerusalem just to travel to Bethlehem to see it. This is still happening today. So many people we know, they're not atheists, they're not agnostics. They have biblical knowledge, but there's no follow-through in their life in any way whatsoever. So he sends them to Bethlehem, verse 9. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. Please note the wording, young child, not baby. We're talking time has passed. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, please note the wording again. They're in a house, not a manger, not a stable. They saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then being divinely warned in a dream they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. And now we just start seeing prophecy being fulfilled. There's actually four fulfilled prophecies here. Excuse me, actually five fulfilled prophecies in this chapter. We've already had the first one here about Bethlehem. Another fulfilled prophecy, they escape into Egypt they start realizing that there's going to be an issue. They start realizing that Herod is not going to accept another king of the Jews. Herod is going to take matters into his own hands. Take a look at verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all to districts from two years old and under, see the time frame again, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. See, but they've escaped, jump back to verse 15, out of Egypt I called my son, prophecy fulfilled again. We have prophecies being fulfilled from Micah, we have prophecies fulfilled from Hosea, from Isaiah, from Jeremiah. The Lord has this all planned, all planned out. And then they're determined by a dream again that it's safe to come back, and they move back, verse 27, excuse me, 23, to Nazareth, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. So you have this amazing prophecy fulfilled again. Once again, Micah, Jeremiah, Hosea, Isaiah, all these things. Born in Bethlehem, which was prophesied that would be. But now we have to ask why. This is where I think it gets really interesting. We get that this is fulfilled prophecy. We get that God took care of all this. But now the question comes up, why Bethlehem? This is where it's interesting. Bethlehem at the time of Jesus was nothing of a town. Everything I've read, everything I've studied, guesses maybe 300 to 1,000 people. Really not that big. In fact, there was other Bethlehems. This wasn't just a Bethlehem. There were other Bethlehems scattered about. It was really nothing special. Now, we'll go back to Micah 5, verse 2. It reads a little bit differently. We have the Old Testament written in Hebrew. We have the New Testament written in Greek. You see it a little bit differently here. It says in verse 2 of Micah 5, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Though you are a little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me, the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. So it even is accepting right here, Bethlehem, you're really nothing. You're really nothing to be chosen to be the one that gives birth to the king, to the savior. But it's you. But it adds another word here. It's a Bethlehem Ephrathah. In verse 2. So now let's start talking about what these words mean. This is how my mind works. I read this, I see this, and Lord, you don't do anything by accident. You chose this town, you picked this town. Why? So let's see what these words mean. Can you go with me to John 6, please? John 6. Bethlehem Ephrathah. John 6 gives us a little bit of a hint. See, the name Bethlehem means house of bread. So keep that in the back of your minds. Bethlehem means house of bread. This would be a staple back during Bible times. Staple of your diet, bread. Probably quite common that the mom would get up every morning and make a loaf of bread because this is just what you ate. This is such a common, important thing. And so therefore, that is a staple of everything you do is bread. Jesus is born in Bethlehem, the house of bread. But let's take this one step further. Take a look here in John 6. Let's start in verse 32. Then Jesus said to them, "Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Now here's our first point. Jesus is born in Bethlehem, prophesied from Micah 5. It's called house of bread. Why? Because Jesus is the bread of life. That's exactly what he is. He is the bread of life. John 6, 35. I am the bread of life. If Jesus is the bread of life, doesn't it make sense that he should be born in Bethlehem, which is the house of bread? So this is the Lord bringing all this together here. Prophesying this, bringing this together. This was not some obscure little town that God just closed his eyes and pointed to on a map. He purposely chose Bethlehem, the house of bread, because Jesus is the bread of life. Now, let's keep building on this. Can you go with me to John 15? John 15. Now, the name of the town is Bethlehem, Ephrathah. So, if Bethlehem is house of bread, Ephrathah means fruitful. Ephrathah means fruitful. Take a look here at John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit... He takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, He prunes, and it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. Remember, Ephrathah, fruitful. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. Think about this. What is Jesus' plan for our life? Verse 8 My Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Where is Jesus born? House of bread, fruitful. He's the bread of life that's asking us to be fruitful. There's a reason why he picked that town. I have so many people come up to me and always ask, what's God's will for my life? How am I not supposed to know what God wants me to do? John 15, 8 tells you, you glorify God by bearing much fruit. That's what you want to do. This has become part of our Christian lingo. Fruitful. How's your walk with Christ going? Is it fruitful? How's the study going? How's it going to work? Is it fruitful? We talk about the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5, and 23. Doesn't it just make sense? That our Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, Ephrathah, the house of bread, fruitful. Because that's what God's plan is for our lives. To come to know who the bread of life is, Jesus Christ. Then to take that information and then go be fruitful with it. So when you see Bethlehem and you sing the song, O little town of Bethlehem. You're really talking about the house of bread, the fruitful house of bread where God chose to have his Savior be born. Now I think there's more layers to this. Because if Bethlehem was chosen by God, it's not just because it has a unique name. We should be able to go back and look at Bethlehem in the Old Testament and say, if this town is so insignificant, why is it mentioned so much? Let's talk about that. Let's go to our next one. First Samuel 16, please. First Samuel 16. Let's go back and look at some of these references of this insignificant little town and see why God deems it so important. Its name already reveals the mission of the Messiah. I am the bread of life, house of bread, and calling us to be fruitful. So now what else can we learn from the Old Testament examples of Bethlehem? First Samuel 16. Now what's going on in First Samuel 16 is this. Saul was the first king of Israel. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. Saul messed up. So since Saul messed up, God is picking a new king. And he uses Samuel. Samuel is an Old Testament prophet, the last of the judges. And he says, Samuel, you need to go to anoint a new king. Verse 1 of 1 Samuel 16. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. Obviously from Bethlehem. For I provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one I name you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, do you come peaceably? Why are they trembling? This is Bethlehem. It's a nothing town. The most important religious figure at this time shows up at their town. Okay, did we do something wrong? Why are you here, Samuel? Are we coming in judgment or are you coming in peace? Verse 5, peaceably I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. And where did he go? He went to Bethlehem. And what does he find in Bethlehem? Well, he goes through this duty pageant of all the different sons of Jesse Can't find the one. Verse 7 The Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. The man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And finally, he says, Do you have anybody left? He says, There's just one left, just the youngest, David. He's doing nothing but watching sheep. Samuel says, bring him to me, verse 12. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ready with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon him. Come came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose and went to Ramah. So we see Bethlehem, Ephrathah, house of bread fruitful. We get that. What else do we see happening in Bethlehem? This is where Israel gets their kings from. This is where David's from. The king that's going to set the lineage for the rest of the kings of Israel is from Bethlehem. So wouldn't it make biblical sense for God to say the king that will reign forever should be from Bethlehem as well? So therefore, the king that reigned on this earth, the lineage of the Jews, was from Bethlehem, David. So now Jesus says the king that will reign forever will be from Bethlehem as well. So now let's just keep thinking of other references here at Bethlehem. You don't need to turn to this one, but it's the book of Ruth. Now, we all love Ruth. Ruth is this great love story in the Old Testament. You have Ruth, a Moabite, and she falls in love with Boaz, a good Jewish boy, and then they get married. Now, the problem is she's a Moabite. Now, if you don't know the Old Testament, Moabites are bad. You don't want to hang out with the Moabites, okay? Moabites did some bad things in the past, and they are cursed. But yet, Ruth gets to be involved with Boaz And Ruth is actually now in the lineage of Jesus. And if you study this out, Ruth is actually David's great-grandmother. So here we have a Moabite that should not be part of things, is invited in, is David's great-grandmother, and she is mentioned in the genealogy in Matthew 1 of the lineage of Jesus. She is part of the lineage of your Savior. And where is she going to? According to Ruth 1, she's going to Bethlehem. She meets Boaz in Bethlehem. What does that represent? That's us, guys. We're the cursed, ugly Gentiles that should have nothing to do with Jesus. But yet, if we go to Bethlehem, we can meet our Savior right there. Because we are nothing. And so this Moabite woman that should have been excluded and pushed away is actually accepted in the line of Jesus, great-grandmother to David. Why? Because she went to Bethlehem and met her husband. Church, we go to Bethlehem and meet our husband, Jesus Christ, right there. And that's why the Bible says we are married to him. We are the uh, marriage supper of the Lamb. We are the bride of Christ. Because why? We went to Bethlehem. So we have Bethlehem, the house of bread, fruitful. That's who Jesus is. I'm the bread of life. Be fruitful. We have Bethlehem, that where the kings come from, just like David was. That's where our king came from. Who was the Magi seeking? The king of the Jews. We have Bethlehem, where Gentiles come to get to be a part And that's what we are, Gentiles, non-Jews, that now we get to come be a part of this as well. Let's look at one more reference here. Can you go with me to Genesis 35, please? Genesis 35. This little insignificant town that means nothing has all these Old Testament references of major things happening. So what's going on here in Genesis 35? In Genesis 35, we have Jacob with one of his wives, Rachel. And Rachel's about ready to give birth. And she's going to give birth to Benjamin. That is Jacob's favorite boy. Now, what's going to happen is this, verse 16 of Genesis 35. Now, then they journeyed from Bethel, and when they were there but a little distance to go to Ephrathah. Ephrathah should ring a bell, Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Rachel labored in childbirth, and she had hard labor. Now it came to pass when she was in labor, hard labor that the midwife said to her, Do not fear, you will have this son also. So it was as her soul was departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrathah, that is, Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar on her grave, which is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. So Bethlehem the Old Testament is where David the king was from, where our king Jesus is from. Bethlehem in the Old Testament... Is where the Moabite Gentile woman Ruth became accepted into Israel. Bethlehem is where we as Gentiles become accepted into Jesus Christ. Bethlehem is now is the place of death. See, take a look here. Her son is born, Benoni, but they name him Benjamin as she dies. Benonai means son of my sorrow. Benjamin means son of the right hand. So Dad changes the name to son of the right hand instead of son of sorrow. But Rachel dies in Bethlehem, giving birth. Go with me now to Luke, please. Let's see how this ties in. Luke chapter 2. Son of sorrow, change the son of my right hand. Where's Jesus at right now? In heaven where? At the right hand of the Father, the Bible says. Isn't it interesting that the son born in Bethlehem That also caused a death is now up in heaven, the Son of the Right Hand. That's a great picture of the symbolism there of Benjamin's name being a picture of Jesus Christ. But what about the sorrow part? Mary didn't die. Look at Luke 2, verse 25. She didn't die in childbirth. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. See, what's happening is there's this man, Simeon, that's been blessed with this, uh, you're going to see the Messiah. And here, Mary and Joseph being good Jews, verse 27, are following the law and bringing in Jesus. Simeon sees them. He took him up, took Jesus up in his arms, blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. Remember Ruth, the Moabite? And the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Stop for a second and put yourself in the position of Mary and Joseph. We've talked about this before in other Christmas messages. Mary's young. Maybe as young as 14, 15 years old. Probably not late teens by any chance. People got married very young. And so you've been through a lot in nine months. You've had angels appear to you saying you're going to give birth to the God. And then Joseph, who's betrothed to you, says, I don't know if I can really handle this, um, so I'm going to let you go. And then angels appear to him saying, no, stay with her. And then when it's time to give birth, your husband has this great idea of let's travel to a really dirty, faraway location. Because when you're nine months pregnant, that's really what you want to do. I can remember when Dawn was pregnant with our kids, towards the end there were certain roads that she said, don't don't drive on these roads, they're a little too bumpy. So here Mary is traveling, and just happens at that moment, get ready to give birth. There's no room at the end, you know the story. So they're giving birth in some type of barn, maybe some type of cave. And this is just a few days ago. And now they're still digesting all of this. Shepherds are showing up. Crazy things are happening. Maybe things have finally settled down a little bit. And now they walk into the temple. And here's this old crazy guy, Simeon, that grabs your kid. Does a Lion King thing with him. Sticks him up in the air. And says, this is what I've been waiting for. Now I can die. No wonder in verse 33, Joseph and his mother marveled. At these things which are spoken of him. These are teenage kids trying to figure this out. But we still haven't got to the son of sorrow. We've got to the son of the right hand. Jesus is at the right hand of the father. That's Bethlehem. But what about the son of sorrow? Verse 34. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. That the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Mary did not die in childbirth like Rachel did. But you know what Mary went through for 33 years? She has this amazing birth story. She has this amazing time of giving birth to this God. She says in Luke that it's her salvation. And then as a mom and as a believer, she needs to watch what he goes through on the cross. You know, when we think about what Jesus went through on the cross, we think of the suffering Savior. We, we think of this 33-year-old man that died for us. You know, we can use all the fancy terms, ransomed for our sins, righteousness, justification. We can read about the verses of him being whipped and beat and the penalty of sin. Mary saw her baby. That's what she saw. She saw the child that she gave birth to, that she carried. She saw the child that she nursed, she took care of. She saw that. And so in verse 35, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. She has a whole different understanding of Jesus the Messiah than what we do. Yes, he is her Messiah. But that's also her son. So she may not have died in birth like Rachel did. But there was a son of sorrow there as well for her. This all goes back to Bethlehem. So when you read in Matthew 2, Bethlehem is where he's born. Don't skip over those things. Chew on that. Stop and say, Lord, why did you choose Bethlehem? Well, because Micah 5, 2 prophesied it. So it's a fulfilled prophecy. Okay, I can accept that. But there's got to be other layers. Because this is the house of bread, where Jesus is the bread of life. This is the house of bread that is fruitful, and Jesus has called us to glorify God and be fruitful. This is also the place where the kings come from. David was from Bethlehem. This is the place where the Moabite Gentile woman came and found a husband. And we are the cursed Gentiles that come and find a husband because we're the bride of Christ. This is also the town where the son from the right hand is born, but also the son of sorrow. And that's exactly what Jesus is at the right hand of the father, but also at the same time too, the sorrow of his death on the cross. So when you see Bethlehem, there are so many different layers to this. And I want you to really stop over this next week. And you're going to get time off from work. You're going to get time off from school. And it's really easy to get caught up in all of this stuff. But we really just need to stop and say, Lord, there was a baby that was born. And it was a 33-year-long journey of death. That's really what Christmas is. It's the first day of a 33-year-long journey of death for Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. Now, we celebrate that. We honor that, and it's amazing. But at the same time, too, we have to stop and really think, Lord, what are you trying to tell us with this? I tell you, guys, I want you to have the bread of life. I want you to have Jesus Christ. And not only have the bread of life of Jesus Christ, I want you to be fruitful. I don't want you just to sit and do nothing with this information. We already talked about Herod and the scribes. They had the information, and they did nothing with it. I don't want that to happen to us. I don't want us to become unfruitful. I want us to realize our king was born in Bethlehem. I want us to realize that we are a fallen people that can find salvation through Jesus. And I want us to realize the sorrow of his death, but also at the same time, the glory of it that happened. So as you go out this week, you're going to hear a lot of things about Christmas. Prayerfully see where the Lord leads to open up doors to really shine the gospel. This is a few, one of the few times of the year Where so many people are at least open to talking about who Jesus is. Even by default, they're saying the name Christ when they say Merry Christmas. See where God takes it. I tell you, one of the most fun things you can do as a believer is throw it out there and see if anybody bites. I absolutely love doing that. Absolutely love it. You you just mention it. You just throw it out there. You see if someone bites it. I'll give give you an example here real quick. And it's not an example of success. This is an example of failure because I want to make sure you know I'm not trying to elevate myself. Uh, We were running out of time. The boys were hungry, so we ran through a drive-thru real quick. And so I said to the boys, I said, okay, you guys can each get two different items. And the one item that they were selling was some type of a holiday pie or something like that. And the boys asked me, what's in the holiday pie? I said, I don't know what it is. I'll ask them when we get to the drive-thru. So we go up to the window, I mean to the speaker, we order. And I said, hey, uh," I said, the boys are interested in the holiday pies. What is it? And she kind of stumbled and fumbled around on what actually was it. And she goes, I guess the best way I can describe it is kind of like a birthday cake. I said, oh, it's a birthday cake. I said, like Jesus' birthday? Like you guys are trying to celebrate Jesus' birthday Crickets chirping, nothing. Nothing. But I tried, you know what I'm saying? You throw it out there and you try. See, there's no point to the story, I told you. There's just no point to it. But you're going to have a lot of people that are willing to talk about Christmas, nativity scenes, if nothing else, become legalistic. Hey, your magi are too close, back up the wise men. You know, I don't know, just try it and see what happens there. It's the house of bread, it's being fruitful, it's representing Jesus. Let's really pray that into our lives here. Worship team, if you want to come forward. Lord, as we just get ready to close up here, I I pray that we could take what we learned this morning and just not say, neat correlation, but Lord, this is Bethlehem, the house of bread, where kings come from, where Gentiles can get saved, where death happens, but we can also glorify you. Help us to really think about this, really focus on this and all that we say and all that we do. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing, what you've done. To you be the glory, and I praise you. Um, Go before us this week and really help us keep our heart, mind, and soul focused on you and all that we say and all that we do. And we lift this up in your name, in the name of Jesus. Amen.